0: Forever! Dog!
1: Just between
2: us. Hey! Just between us. Hey! Hello! I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I use Q tips in my ears even though you're not supposed to.
3: Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And you're not supposed to.
2: Nope. You're definitely not supposed to. Even though that's the number one reason people buy Q-tips. Isn't that interesting? I think about it all the time.
3: Wow. Wh- why? It hurts your ear. It hurts your ear. And I don't can, care. And
2: it can impact the. It can cause the ear wax to get impounded. Anyway, it's really bad. But I do it all the time.
3: Have you ever used um, an earwax candle? No. Tell me more. Okay. When I was in summer camp. Oh, I must have been like 14. My friend, I won't say her name. She had a lot of earwax buildup and it was hurting her. Like it was causing problems. And we went to the nurse's office and the nurse uh, took an earwax candle and like burned it into her ear. And then it like gathers all the earwax. Does and it then, hurt? No. And then they and then uh, the nurse pulled it out and the earwax attached to the wax from the candle and it pulled all this earwax out of her ear. And it was fascinating to watch. Shout out to that girl. Sorry that I told this story, but I didn't say your name. Uh, But yeah, they and so I've never tried one as an adult, but it really worked on that girl. Wow. Intriguing. We should do them on the show because now that we're a visual medium,
1: (laughs) me me and you
3: should just be like, we should just do earwax candles. And then people will have to like, they'll be listening and they'll go, well, I got to see the video of that. Oh, very
2: intriguing. Yes, I do listen to some podcasts where they go, and then we'll share this on our Instagram. We'll share this on our TikTok. And I'm like, oh, we never we never tease people with that. We should tease people.
3: Yeah, so if you're interested in seeing us use an earwax candle, we'll do it in a visual version of this podcast, and then you'll have to, you'll be required to head on over to YouTube to watch it.
2: Okay, I'm going to think about it. I also would not trust you to administer anything medical on me.
3: It's not medical. Oh, Melissa can do it. <laughs>
2: It's not medical. It's like... I wouldn't allow you to administer anything on me. I guess I should correct you. Do you think a
3: neti pot is medical? Yeah. Like, I don't...
2: Yeah. (laughs) I don't... I don't know. I think you... Like, I I don't know. You give off, like, a bit of a rough vibe. Like, you would be a little rough.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. What was it? Like, in Mad Men, where they're all getting the B12 shots in the office and everyone gets super hyper... And it's just like a go- a doctor that comes over and like Dr. feel good maybe, I think. And he just comes and injects everybody. But it's like not real. But it, it's, it is. It's just B12 shots and probably cocaine. What's the point of you sharing that story? That's like what I would be like. Oh, OK. I'm saying what you're imagining is me. Okay, I haven't seen that scene, but I believe it. Or I'm like giving stick and poke tattoos, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you would you get a stick and poke tattoo for me? No. Now, again, I wouldn't let you do
2: Why? any sort of procedure on me because I don't think you have a gentle touch. And that's, I'm
3: very delicate. You are delicate. I feel like people, I was going to say people say I have a delicate touch, but that's not true. Most of the people I'm with really don't want a delicate touch at all. <laughs> anyway this is just between us a variety show filled with heartfelt
2: advice ridiculous games and brutal honesty as we just saw
3: and rough hands baby oh my goodness the hands of someone who works the land who tills the (laughs) dirt under your fingernails real america
2: See, that's another thing. I, I don't necessarily think that your hands would be clean enough to they administer are. any kind Look, of thing. my nails
3: are cut. Like, yeah, I, they are I have, very short. I have a real, uh, like if my nails get too long and there's any dirt under them, I'm very upset about it.
2: My nails are so long right now and it's making it really difficult to take my contact lenses out at night. I don't know how people have nails longer than mine and they're not even that long right now. Compared to like what I've seen other people have, I can barely do anything.
3: <laughs> but it does, it does sound so satisfying when someone with long nails is typing. Well, listen to this. I love that noise. ASMR. ASMR. We're really branching out. <laughs> okay. We've got an excellent episode for everybody this week. Yes. This week, we're going to be talking to Dr. Simranjeet Singh all about Sikh wisdom and um, his life as a Sikh person in the in the United States. And we get into the racism post 9-11, the joys and beauty of the religion. And it's a really lovely conversation.
2: And later, we'll be discussing Gabby's dating life. <laughs> Mostly because in between recording the interview and recording this part, Gabby was dishing to me and Melissa and it was so juicy. We decided to change the topic to make it Gabby's dating. Life. Yeah,
3: I was like, my, my stuff's super interesting. I just never talk about it.
2: Well, <laughs> I feel like for months you've been like alluding to it and like wanting us to ask.
3: Yeah, I have a lot going on. Also, I just I'm laughing right now and I'm realizing that my voice is maybe like sounds a little sick and I'm not sick. I'm just four months on testosterone. But I have noticed that I think like even in our TikToks, my laugh is a little dry. Interesting.
2: I I think I've learned I've had a very I have a very distinct laugh. You do. Do I? Yeah. No, why? Why? Why is that bad? I don't know. I think some people don't like it, but that's okay. I've Ooh. heard, I've I've had some feedback. Ooh. I think I, I also have a nervous laugh where if I'm uncomfortable, I laugh after I say something that's not funny, but it's just like a nervous habit. But as I once tweeted, it's better than having a nervous scream. Um... <laughs>
3: Okay, this is my laugh. This is my laugh that Mal says is my like, or no, not a laugh, but Mal says, Why do you do this dino noise? Which is like when something's not going well or when I'm trying to like fix something or do something, I go,
2: I've known you for so many years and I've never heard you make that sound. I'll be like,
3: "Ah!" I really don't know. It's actually doesn't sound like that anymore. Oh my God, I can't do the noise anymore. Testosterone. I saw a very funny tweet that was like Italian accent. Testosterone. Okay.
2: What a wild episode we've got. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it. International question. International question. International question. Tia, Michigan.
3: Felt like I was landing a plane. (laughs) <laughs>
2: okay, Tia says, hi, Gabby. No, hi, Allison and Gabby. Love it. Long time JBU fan here. I just got done listening to Allison's new book, Overthinking About You, and found it very helpful. However, I did feel like I needed some further guidance on one of the issues mentioned in the book. Ooh. The issue in question. I'm in a happy two-year relationship, but I have a secret obsession with checking my ex-fling's social media. <gasps> I've only admitted this to one close friend. And she gave me the same advice Allison's book does. Mute, delete, block them everywhere before you can expect time to heal old wounds. Despite this advice, which I believe to be true, I cannot work up the strength to actually do it. By now, I am no longer overanalyzing this behavior. I know this dude sucked. He used me, never cared about me, and his treatment of me is not a reflection of my worth. Despite these things, I feel like I'm checking his photos, the music he's listening to, whether he viewed my story and his recent ex-girlfriend's socials daily out of boredom, comfort, and habit at this point. I have a very slow and boring computer job and feel like if I were busier and more satisfied with my life, I wouldn't even care to check in on his. I know I can continue to gradually create a better life for myself where I no longer feel this urge, but so far I have not been able to work up the cojones to delete him on everything. I'm not even sure what I'm afraid of. Losing out on photos of him looking worse and worse by the year to to feed my ego? His latest pretentious male musician obsession? Gross. Anyways, thanks, Allison and Gabby. Love the show.
3: First of all, Tia, do you want to be friends? (laughs) This is so funny. Why do we do this? Great question. I don't know. Why do we do this? I still do this. Uh, On how many people? It really depends. Sometimes like I'll just go and be like randomly check someone and, and I'll be like, oh, that person's sucked. And I'll be like, that's like I went and looked at one of my ex's Instagrams and he had a baby and he gave the baby a stupid name. And I was like, Meh. and that was just enjoy. That was just enjoyment for me. Um, But some I don't know, I think it's from a place of like, I still care in terms of like, I liked I, I liked this person and I want to know that they're doing okay. But also some of it is just like fueling my hatred. Mm. So like, I don't really know.
2: So I it's interesting when we get questions where someone's like I do this, I know why I do this. I know I should do this. This is how, like and like it's like oh, you did the advice for me. Like you know yeah. like like they clearly have this like they know that it's not good. They know even like what but, would like, help. It? But I I kind of like want to speak to just like this broader idea of like when you have a habit like this that like is not necessarily adaptive and is maybe a bit maladaptive, but isn't having a huge impact on your life. Yeah, and you, it's not
3: affecting you that much.
2: And you know you don't want to do it, but you also don't have like the the willingness yet to, to, to stop doing it. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely have things like that in my life. And so where I'm like, oh, in a perfect world, I wouldn't do this or I would change this about me or I would implement these things. But I'm just like, I think something I'm realizing is like, having a little faith in yourself that like, you'll get there. Yeah. That like, sometimes we like try to force ourselves to do things like before we're ready. And then there's like resistance and then it's so much work. And then it's like, then we just feel like a failure because we didn't do it in the first place. And I think kind of just like maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, but just like
3: having this idea of like, one day I won't do this anymore. Like you won't even notice that you've stopped doing it.
2: Yeah. And, and I wonder too, of like, if you're, if you're not, if it's more just like an acceptance model of like, yeah, I do this thing. I wish I didn't do this thing. And and one day I'll probably stop doing it instead of like, God, every single day that you go and check it, it's like, why am I doing this? This is yeah, so this bad. You something. know, it builds more meaning into it. It makes it a bigger
3: deal yeah.
2: than just sort of like kind of having this like weird faith in yourself that like when you're ready to let it go, you will let it go.
3: Yeah. Sometimes it's just like they're characters or something in your life. and like. You're like, let me check what these characters are up to. I don't know. Sometimes it's like, almost like I'll look at their socials just to be like, how weird is it that we were together? I'll be like, that's so crazy that we did <laughs> But I also think there's
2: something that that Tia really touched on, which is habit, right? So if you're used to sitting at your desk every day right. and around 1230, you're bored and that's when you check, it is really hard to break a habit like that unless something changes. Like maybe you'll end up getting a new job that's like a little more exciting or maybe you'll go on vacation for a week and by the time you come back, it's like a little less appealing to fall right back into that habit. like. Cutting yourself some slack that these like daily things are hard to break.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially being bored. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like sometimes I try to go like, what are you looking for exactly? Like, what am I, what am I, what am I checking this to find? And, you know, also people tend to tell you things about, exes that you don't really like someone will be like oh did you see that this this x y and z and then i'm like well i got to go look myself <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know i have one ex that keeps trying to get in touch with me for for who knows what reason and none that- of
2: my exes ever want to get in
1: touch with <laughs> me
3: <laughs> well then it makes me go okay are they broken up with the person they're with so then i go and check mm-hmm. i don't know there's one ex i can't get into it too much but there's one ex that i suspect something is going on with them. And so I keep checking. And my friend was like, if this is true about this person, what will that give you? Like, what will that do? Like, what are you actually gaining from this knowledge? And I was like, it will go back in time and fix everything. And they're like, will it? And I'm like, you don't know, maybe it will. It won't.
2: Yeah, I think you're speaking to this big thing that like, When we're still like looking to other people to either validate validate Why
3: we were together or validate why we should have been together. For your case, Tia, you're looking to this person to be like, yes, this was the right decision to not be with him.
2: Or like this sense of like, let me prove that I'm better than them or yeah, that, you that, know, I sh- that
3: I was I shouldn't have been in this in the first place. And like their rejection of me, look, they that
2: ruined their life because now look at what their life's like. I think that the core thing is just like becoming more secure in yourself, mm-hmm. like the more secure that I've become in myself, the less it's mattered what these other people's lives have are and like what they've done post me. And like, yeah, like if I happen to find out that my ex-fiance was was with someone else I know that that would be a really hard day for me but I also know that like I've done enough work like that it wouldn't destroy me yeah in the way that it would have destroyed me a few years ago because I'm able to like separate myself and my being from other people yeah in this way that's only come about through like building my relationship with myself and liking myself and nurturing myself But and then and then there's the other part that's just like it's entertaining, right? (laughs) You know, know. so like I think kind of maybe doing some work of like, is this more just like entertaining? And if so, then like whatever. Or are you going for it for that validation to have revenge or to like
3: hurt yourself, bring up
2: these parts of yourself that you don't like in terms of like you're going there just to judge the person like, yeah, you know, what kind of energy do you want to be expending in the world
3: yeah or to like or to hurt yourself like there's an ex-friend of mine that I'll look at her account sometimes and be like why am I doing this this is self-harm
2: that's such a good point like a lot of times this checking is really like it is self-harm yeah
3: I'm really glad that like
2: that's been a habit I've been able to break
3: yeah like I don't check up on people that have hurt me wow I do but I but almost also sometimes to prove that I don't care anymore. Like, I'll look and I'll be like, that was weird. Like, I was also looking at, like, old like, chats with this person. And I was like, wow, I used to really write a lot. And he used to really write, okay. And then I look and I'm like, one, I, one there's, I guess, an element of superiority. But also me just being like, I don't care anymore. But then if I don't Do care anymore. you not anymore, care?
2: Then why are you looking? Then why looking?
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So,
2: it's tough. But I think just, like, the more that you beat yourself up over it, the bigger a thing it's going to be in your life.
3: Yeah. And what does it make you feel? When you close the computer, do you feel entertained? Do you feel hurt? Do you feel superior? What are you feeling when you're done?
2: And also, what do you want to be feeling, right? So like during that time when you're bored, like, do you want to feel like petty and resentful and angry or do you want to like spend that time watching funny animal videos and feel like you know maybe you can like identify what feelings you'd rather be feeling and what kind of content you can go gravitate towards when you're bored to give you those types of feelings instead
3: yeah gossip about the people on the bachelor (laughs) exactly
2: hopefully that was helpful. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com.
3: Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Dr. Simran Jeet Singh. So stay tuned.
2: Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than a other options. Shipping is always free and with a loyalty program you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like where did you come from and then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic a new husband comes out and she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best it is right up my alley and I love it so much so if you want to take part in book of the month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for five dollars with code petals that's five dollars off with code petals I cannot recommend this enough Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, Sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend, Daisy, is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough
3: questions. This week on the show, our guest is Dr. Simranjeet Singh. Having experienced racism as a self-described brown-skinned, turban-wearing Sikh boy growing up in South Texas post-9-11, Dr. Singh's dedicated his life to demystifying Sikhism. In his forthcoming book, The Light We Give, How Sikh Wisdom Can Transform Your Life, Dr. Singh offers an inspiring approach to living a more fulfilling life using Sikh teachings.
0: Hi, how's it going?
3: (laughs) Oh, good. How are you? I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) So we're so excited
2: to talk about this because I feel like you come from a culture that most people have heard of, but know absolutely nothing about. And so when you're trying to explain, you know, what it means to you to be Sikh, like, where do you start?
0: Oh, it's such a good question. You know, it used to be when I was growing up, you know, I, I get asked this question all the time, and I, I used to begin by, by giving people the facts, right? Like, my religion is 500-something years old, and it was started in the Punjab region of South Asia. And, you no, know, all of that is true, and I think one of the things that's changed for me, and in my own appreciation uh, about the tradition, is actually what means the most to me about it, is, is the teachings uh, and principles and, and what I've learned about living a good life. Uh, through sick practice, and so I, I would really start with, I think, some universal truths that most people, if not everyone, can get behind. Right, that there's interconnectedness about our about our lives, about this world, that can change how we see ourselves and one another, and and can really help us feel a different kind of connection with the world produces love and service and justice and so that's that to me it's like the one-liner on on what Sikhism is all about and then everything else in many ways is I mean it's important uh, but it's secondary to that
2: and so were you raised this way I mean has there ever been a point in your life when you thought about you know like as an adolescent or anything like leaving the religion like or has it always just been felt right to you
0: It's a good question because I I was raised in a sick family. I wasn't born with a turban on my head, but I pretty much started wearing one at a young age or my hair was long enough. And so being a sick was always part of my identity. Like I always saw myself as a sick, but I would also say that, you know, like like with many religion, like religious practices, and also, I mean, just the way identity works generally, like it, it sort of ebbs and flows in your life. And there are times when you're like, well, am I one of these? Like, do I really care about this stuff? Do I wish I was something else? Are there other ideas or communities or ways of living mm-hmm. that feel more appropriate or or more attractive to, to how I see the world? And and definitely that has come up for me in different moments. I think especially through my experiences with, with racism, which have been pretty intense, especially growing up in Texas, looking so different and the 9-11 hits and and, and then everything sharpens, right? It gets really intense. There were definitely moments where I was like, man, do I really need to choose to look this way? Like, do I do I really want to have a beard and a turban in this country? Like, my life could be easier if I didn't. And so those were real inflection points for me. And I know that's true for a lot of people in my country. And it was it was never to the extent where I said no. Like, I never really walked away from the tradition. And, and I, I think what I found is in asking myself those questions, I was actually able to find a deeper appreciation and respect for what the sick way of life has to offer. And so I did, I actually deepened my own relationship uh, with sick teaching in ways that I probably wouldn't have expected.
3: Yeah. I wanted to say uh, then at the post nine eleven of it all, I think some of our listeners are, are young. And so it might be inconceivable to them in some ways, but can you kind of describe what changed after nine eleven?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, racism is not new in this country or in this world. And it certainly wasn't new uh, in my experience. I had moments growing up where, you know, I was denied entry into roller skating rinks or asked not to play soccer games, or my brother had to sit out a season of basketball uh, just because we wear turbans. And so like racism, whether it's personal or institutional or systemic, like that's, that's real. And then there are certain moments in history, you know, within our lifetimes, where fear really fuels another level of hate. And, and after 9-11, you know, the entire country feels attacked. It was really traumatic. And everyone's trying to figure out what, what happens when, when violence comes to our own soil. Right? Like, that's not really something we deal with very often in, in modern America. And part of the, the response immediately was, hey, we gotta go get those guys. Right? We created literally what was called a war on terror. And I remember, actually, when, when the Twin Towers went down, we were watching them in my in my history teacher's classroom. I was a senior in high school at the time, and they showed the picture of the primary suspect, and it was a guy I'd never heard of before. His name was Osama bin Laden, and and then they showed his picture, and I was like, "Oh my god, like that looks exactly like me." Yeah. And I mean, like he he doesn't actually look like me, right? Like we're not twins; we don't have that <laughs> many similarities. But to Americans, mm-hmm. you know, brown skin, turban, beard, like. we we may as well be twins, right? Like I, I knew that I wasn't connected to him and my friends knew that I had nothing to do with the violence that had happened in our country. But I and my friends also knew that most Americans wouldn't know any better. And so what happened immediately after, I mean, my mom picked this up from school, my brothers and me, we went home, we locked the doors. We didn't really talk about it. We started getting death threats that day at our house over the phone, people driving by. And that just continued for the next several days and weeks. And, you know, it it was a part of me, especially as an 18-year-old, where I started to wonder if this was overblown. Uh, And then I started hearing about the racist backlash all around the country and people we knew were being physically assaulted. I mean, in in addition to the threats that we had, there was real violence. People we knew were killed and people we didn't know were killed. And it all had to do with how people in this country started to perceive anyone who looked like a perpetrator as the enemy right and and of course being being a sick who had a turban and a beard and brown skin i, I kind of fit that stereotype and, and many people in my community did too and so we we had to figure out pretty quickly how we were going to deal with it it was i mean it was, it was a really intense experience
3: i'm so sorry
2: yeah i mean i i can't uh, i can't imagine and and what was the response from your community you know did it what did it bring you guys together was it sort of like did you think about moving like what did that look
0: like yeah well this this part of it will um will probably blow the minds of of your listeners in that you know 2001 meant the internet wasn't really real in the way that it is now so organizing really started happening over the phone Mm -hmm. Uh, we would have evening conference calls and, and, you know, my brothers and I were young, but our parents were pretty involved in the national community. And, and what they would do is every evening have organizing calls and different leaders would report out, well, here are the hate crimes that happened today in our community. Here's how people are doing. Let's give you an update on, on their health. Uh, and then they would have strategy sessions, like, what do we do to ensure that we have safety in this country? And, you know, I'll tell you something really interesting that I observed in those conversations. Again, I, w- I was listening, right? I wasn't really leading or driving or doing anything really important besides just hanging out and learning. One of the real conversations in our community was, well, if we're really looking for safety, can't we just say, hey, we're not, we're not the bad guys? We're not Muslims. And and in many ways that felt appropriate right like it's honest it's the truth uh and it would certainly move the hate away from us but the conversation that i heard on those phone calls was actually if you think about it there's a real dangerous implication there that does hey by by deflecting the hate elsewhere you're essentially saying don't get us go get those guys instead right and or you know our, our principles teach us that no one should be attacked for how they look or what they believe. And so so it was really interesting to me in in those phone calls to hear leaders all around the country come to the consensus that, you know what, it may mean that we're less safe in the immediate moment, but we're not going to it elsewhere and we're going to stand up in solidarity. And uh, that's the only way that we ensure safety in the long run for everyone, not just for ourselves. So that that was a really big learning moment for me.
3: That's really beautiful. What do you love about being sick what have you come to feel is like the the most motivating strong like relevant part in your life what do you love about it
0: it's it's such a good question this it's funny sometimes the best questions are the most simple ones um, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that before I mean I've asked myself this and, and especially as I'm raising my two daughters I think a lot about not just what i want to communicate to them but how and and that within that is the question of like how do you prioritize things and and what are you trying to bring together to me i think my most profound experience in life that came through Sikh teachings really was something that, that I had known all along. Like it, it was the first idea that I learned. It's in our tradition, we call it ikonkar. Uh, it's, it's the idea of our interconnectedness. And, you know, in many ways, that's obvious, right? Like my daughters who are young can understand it. But I think especially in the post nine eleven moment, when I started studying the religious teachings and other religious teachings pretty seriously, there was something really attractive to me about a way of looking at the world that didn't rely on dichotomies or division. Mm. Um, that was more generative. That was more connective. And you know, you can think about this in a social way or a political way, right? Like, what kind of world do we want to be building? One where we're focusing on connecting and creating, or, or one where we're thinking about how we break things down. And you know, in a world right now where it feels so easy to break down, and we're in many ways, we're often trained to think that way. Right, culturally, we're always told what is the most um, minute or uh, particular way to understand things, and you, you you're you're constantly distinguishing and saying, well, this is good and this is bad this is pure and this is polluted. This is evil. This is sacred, right? Like that's that's especially in religious traditions, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how so much of us are come to be socialized and wired. And it creates all sorts of problems in terms of social hierarchies, nastiness, right? Animus, hatred. And, And to me, what I really love about the sick way of life is there's just a simple inversion of how we live, which is like, actually, we're not different. We're the same. Actually, we're not disconnected. We're connected. And if you can really learn To see the world in that way, it can change your entire experience of it. So to me, that was like the oh my God moment. I mean, we're talking about religion, so I guess I can say oh my God. Uh, (laughs) It was was like this uh, this oh my God moment, which was like, it's so, it feels so natural to see the world in that way. And also it's it's countercultural, right? It's very different than what we see all around us and who we're taught to look. But yeah, I, I found that to completely transform
3: my life. Yeah, it's extremely different from American individualist culture. But I I have a question. I'm curious, like, you know, obviously we said like our audience here under the assumption that our audience is not sick, that under the assumption that maybe a good portion of our audience is white. Right. And so like in your book, you know, it says like how sick wisdom can transform your life. So like a lot of and you're talking about interconnectedness. So like a lot of your work and a lot of what we're dancing around here is like the idea of being a representative and showing yourself mm. to like your book is not for other Sikh people. You know what I mean? It's for do you think about that in terms of audience, like coming on here and being like, let me talk to what I'm assuming is a largely non-Sikh audience or my book. Who is this geared towards, you know?
0: Yeah, it's it's I love this question because it's something I think about a lot. I mean, i me start answering it this way, which is as a professor, the first day of class, when, when we're talking about writing and persuasion, this is the first lesson, right? Like first, you have to know who you're talking to, and then you figure out how to engage. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a constant question that all of us should be asking ourselves in terms of, you no, know, just just how do we talk to people? And one of the challenges is that it's so easy to forget because we get caught up in our own worlds and our own convictions and whatever it is that we care about right it's, it's very we're very self-centered in that way and and to me, it was actually a really difficult book to write in this regard, because when my editor asked me who my audience was, i had I had the worst answer, which you know when I teach, when my students say this, um, I'm always like, nope, that that doesn't work." But but my answer really is everyone. right And part of the reason that i that I feel this, I mean, and I, I feel it pretty deeply is that one of the challenges of coming from the margins in American society is that even though other people might not see this, uh, it's, it's something I'm hoping to reveal here. Even though this book may read to many as a book that is coming from a sick perspective and hoping to introduce others who are not sick to our experiences, yes, that's, that's absolutely one of my goals here. But also coming from the margins means that within our community, we don't actually have resources for ourselves. Right. So in many ways, this book is is the book that I dreamed of reading when I was growing up in Texas. And I, I would look around at the bookstores and be like, man, it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even like the Barnes and Noble or the Borders or whatever, whatever the bookstore was looking there. It was also looking within my community, you know, within the South Asian diaspora mm-hmm. and just wishing that there was some sort of resource that could help connect me to my own heritage. Mm-hmm. Some theorists on literature talk about writing as as windows and mirrors, right? At least when it comes to representation. And so the window piece for me is, hey, let me let me share my life with you, so you know what it's like to be a sick in this country, and and maybe some of the wisdom uh, that sick teachings offer that could that could benefit us all. But the mirrors piece of it is also, you know, let me share a story that other Sikhs and other South Asians can look at and see themselves in. And that that to me is actually a really crucial part of what I'm trying to do here. And I'm hopeful um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to come out here and say, this is the representation of of Sikh experiences, or this is the way of, this is what Sikh teachings are. I, and I'm trying to share it through a very personal experience, because I know it's just one of many but but certainly that is that is also an important audience for me and yeah i think about it a lot so i appreciate the question because i find myself often trying to balance especially in writing this book well how do i speak authentically to my own community while also speaking uh, to people who don't know a thing about us
2: in terms of like you know having people who aren't sick like read the book and and absorb the information like do you feel like you want these teachings to permeate society, even if people don't then also take on the religion?
0: Yeah, 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 totally. And actually, this is this is one of the challenges that I had with the title of the book too, because you know, the, or the subtitle at least, which is "How Sick Wisdom Can Transform Your Life." I, you know, one of one of the teachings within our faith, at least at least as far as I understand it, is that it really doesn't matter what tradition you belong to or what you believe ultimately, uh, when it comes to faith, you can come from anywhere and achieve enlightenment. And so in our, in our tradition, uh, missionizing, conversion, pro- like we, we don't care about that kind of thing, right? right? It's, it's, not part of our, it's not part of our worldview or our logic. And <laughs> we live in a culture where that's so heavy. And it's such a, uh, for a lot of us, including for me, it's such a turnoff like when I when I come around people who think about me in this way, where they're, and, and you know, growing up in Texas, a lot of my friends were like this, where they meant really well. And I, I learned to appreciate that they were coming from a good place, uh, but they'd be like, man, we love you and we really love for you to be saved.
3: Oh yeah.
0: And to me, like, I, I, I didn't have the words for this when I was growing up, but now I started to describe this as religious supremacy. Right. And to me, it's just another form of supremacist thinking that positions people in ways that make them feel like they're better than others. Mm-hmm. And and that grosses me out. Like that's the antithesis of what my, you know, my upbringing is as a Sikh, like in our tradition, everyone is equal. Everyone is equally divine. We all share the same light. Like that's it for us. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really weird place for me to be in to say, hey, I, and, and this is me thinking as a parent too, like, I love this philosophy and this way of life and it has benefited me and let me share with you how I think it might benefit you too. And and I'll share the particulars of the religion without any expectation that you will embrace it. Mm-hmm. But the the universal principles that that I've come to really appreciate—that's what I'm trying to share. So th- there is a really like a funny dance uh, that I that I find myself doing all the time when I'm sharing when I'm sharing about about the sick way of living because I do love it and I do want to share it, but I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to force it on anyone. It's it's more like hey, these these are some ideas that you probably haven't thought of before that could be really helpful.
3: I'm just getting flashbacks to when everyone was like into Kabbalah and like where like all these people (laughs) started wearing the red strings and uh like these religions become so trendy, you know. Like I'm like having this idea Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden like all these celebrities are going to be wearing turbans.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, that happens, and when it does, we might call it appropriation, and, and we might be right, and also. I'm sure that many Sikhs will be appreciative that at least in some way they're being they're being seen after after a hundred years of being in this country, and you know a recent study from Stanford showed that seventy percent of Americans can't recognize the Sikh while looking at one i mean it's it's
3: no, they think wild. you're Muslims
0: exactly exactly, and like I'm cool with that in the sense that like sure like i I don't need you to necessarily m- many people say the experience of being read or interpreted as muslim is a negative thing which i understand that in the context of american racism like that's lower on the hierarchy right right? so like sure uh but for me it's like man let's let's get to a place where that hierarchy no longer exists like let's get rid of the anti-muslim racism and and if that means that there is more coming my way sure Mm. And and it's it's actually something that's that's changed about my approach over time. Like I used to immediately in these moments try and get to a point where I was seen for who I am, and that is ultimately the goal, right? In many ways, right? You just you just want to be seen for who you are, rather than what people assume you to be. And, and we all have the experience of of that in in different ways. But now, in this context of heightened Islamophobia. I'm like, let's let's first address that nastiness and, th- and then we can get to a place uh, that we're really aspiring towards. So anyway, that's, it's just something that, that I found changing in my own evolution of how, how I deal with these moments.
3: We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. Just us. And we're back. What does the turban mean to you?
0: Ugh you know it there there, there are many aspects of i'll I'll share a couple that, that i really love the first is that in in south asian society historically the turban was reserved for royalty
3: mm-hmm.
0: kings kings would wear turbans and i mean specifically kings because you know queens and princesses they there's still this sort of gender distinction there and one of the principles as i've shared of sikh teachings is everyone's equal everyone's royal everyone's divine And here's here's an interesting move that the Sikh teachers, the gurus made, which I find really inspiring as I think about activism today. Instead of going to the rulers and saying, hey, you need to stop wearing turbans, they went to the people and said, hey, you all should start wearing turbans, like you're royal too. And it was a way of smashing the social hierarchy, which, which I think is crucial, but in a way that actually uplifted people and empowered them rather than just trying to bring other people down. And I, I find a lot of um, inspiration in that as I think about what, is, what does it take to create social change and, and to build moments uh, where people are along for the ride and not just along, but like actively engaged. So that's, that's one answer to your question. I'll, I'll, I'll share one more. And that is, to me, when I tie my turban every morning, You know, it's, it's pretty long. Uh, it wraps around my head. And as I'm wrapping it and I'm looking in the mirror to make sure <laughs> to make sure it looks good as i'm wrapping it i'm thinking about the values that it represents and the history it represents so i'm thinking about my community and there's something really interesting about you know sometimes you you do this in different traditions when you when you practice a certain ritual you might recall or remember that other people around the world or over time have done the same thing you are. And there's something really powerful and, and bonding about that. But then also I think about, well, why? Why am I wearing a turban? What does it mean to me? What values does it represent? And so I, I think about service and justice and love as I'm wrapping it. And and I go through this practice every day of saying, well, how am I, how am I going to live this out today? So it's, it's a really beautiful way of starting the morning and in, in many ways where as you're wrapping, or at least as I'm wrapping the turban around my head, it's giving me both this connection to my community, this connection to my principles, and then a, a practical application for those on a daily basis.
3: That's lovely.
2: What are some other traditions that you know are part of your religion that that mean a lot to you?
0: You know, for, for many Sikhs, I know, and, and this is true for a lot of different people in different religious communities, the, the food is like, Hell yeah,
3: we're Jews. We know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know.
0: Yeah. So, so there's this tradition again. This like really beautiful tradition that that started from the gurus and it's lived on over the centuries. And the idea is that everyone. You, this is this is not specific to Sikhs, but it takes place in historically in Sikh places of worship where everyone shares a meal together and it's free. It's open. It's you know in in Amritsar and you know the Golden Temple. Their bar side, which is the center of sick gathering historically, every day they feel they feed 10,000 people. Wow. And it's like this is true in gurdwaras all across the world where they've become hubs for social gathering. And like you can be destitute, you can, you can be needy, you can be unhoused, like you can show up at any time and get fed. And that's part of the tradition. And one of the elements of it, again, getting back to this point about social cohesion is one of the rules is that no matter where you come from or your social status, you sit on the ground together. And that, I mean, in the Indian context was unheard of. Like there's no way that people of different castes would sit together in any context, right? Like you wouldn't even walk by one another uh, without causing real strife. There's that element of it. And and I'll share one more thing that I really loved. And that is in the past few decades we've seen this tradition adapt to the needs of our time and now if you go to the most marginal places in our society right like where the border lines where refugees are emerging and and not even the biggest humanitarian organizations will go because it's not allowed like you will find six there serving yeah. food to those to those refugees and when the when the pandemic hit, for example, uh, and everyone was locked in and no one knew what they were going to do about food, this became another way in which Sikhs expressed uh, their tradition, where they would go out and start delivering food, packing food for people. And so it's it's become this. I I have found it to be a really again like super simple in concept, countercultural, and like all the best elements of what we see in the world as it pertains to meeting the needs of people where they are, the spirit of, of humility and selflessness, and, and really actually making a big impact. So I, I love that aspect of, of the Sikh tradition.
2: Mm. I'm wondering, now that you're a father, you know, passing this, this religion and traditions onto your daughters, how will you feel if at one point, either they reject it or if they want to, you know, marry or date outside of your faith?
0: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a story that my brother shared with me last week. I don't have his permission, so hopefully it's cool. <laughs> but he, he has a son that's the same. His oldest son is the same age as my oldest daughter. And he told me the other day, his son came up to him and said, actually, Dad, he calls him Dada. He said, actually, Dada, I'm a Warriors fan. And my brother was like, oh, my God, I failed in all and everything that I've been trying to do as a parent. Because we in our family were Spurs fans. And and that just <laughs> broke my so brother's he's heart. He's a
3: Warriors <laughs> fan, and you and that's
0: exactly. And so this a, this is a sports
3: like... team. Yeah, this is... <laughs> honestly though, like when my, my dad's the University of Florida diehard, and when my sister went to FSU, it was a problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah, exactly. Like religion, religion in America in many ways is like actually is actually sports, and that's that's true for our family. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm just sharing you like the, sharing with you the first. The first real heartbreak um, <laughs> as, as it comes in our family. Yeah, you know, it, it's a really interesting thing. And I'll, I'll tell you an honest answer that I haven't really shared with anyone before, which is I have known six growing up in this country who have disowned their own kids when they've made decisions like that. And I've never really understood it personally. And, you know, I'm not here to judge them for it. And like, I don't know the particulars of how things went down. So like, definitely not here to judge, but you know one of one of the things that has become clear to me as I've become a father, and like my wife and I talk about this all the time, we just had a conversation about this this past week. I struggle with this because and and my wife and I agree on this, like love for your child is unconditional. Mm-hmm. And yes, my love for my faith is strong. and and I really, you know i have I have all sorts of very positive feelings about it. it's it's a big priority for how we live our lives. It's it's a big priority for how we're raising our children. But I, I mean, if my daughters came to me and said, hey, this isn't for me, like I would probably, I'm, I'm trying to be honest, I'd probably be sad only because I want for them to be happy. And this is, this for me is a path to happiness, but I can't imagine like shunning them for that, right. whether it's, you know, on the basis of marrying outside of the religion, whether it's on the basis of like not wanting to practice it. If they were like, we want to convert, cool, like, find by I me and again probably some sadness that we didn't have this bond that we could share kind of like my my brother not being able to share his love for the Spurs with his his son <laughs> anymore like you you definitely miss that and you have these ideas in your head about what will tie you together over time but like, like I don't think humans are so superficial that you need that kind of connection to keep a relationship and and to me at least I find my relationship with my daughters I I want it to be much deeper than that and and if we share it I would love that and if we don't that's okay too but yeah I I think that's at least ideally that's how I'd want to want to react who knows who knows if I can actually live into it
3: when it's time they'll listen to this and hold you to it
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah they can bring it back to me
3: would you like to play a game show
0: Uh, what if I say no
2: then I'd respect your wishes and we would part ways. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's so kind. Okay, that's not what I expected. I thought I was on the part ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. This would be fun.
2: <laughs> okay, so this game show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And then I arbitrarily decide if I like your answer, if I don't like your answer. Sometimes I don't even really decide at all. We just move on. It's really really a thought experiment. (laughs) Um, So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Here we go. Okay. Your partner of five years
3: has started.
1: (laughs) Allison! (laughs) I forgot what I did for this one.
3: (laughs) I'm so, I can't. Sometimes she laughs at herself. Okay, sorry. Uh,
2: Your partner of five years has started to suspect that their therapist has been hitting on them.
3: Whoa, I'm watching The Sopranos. This is pretty relevant.
2: Pretty relevant. Okay. They want to make sure they are correct before reporting them to lose their license. So during a session, they allow things to progress to a five-second makeout that they are secretly recording on their phone as evidence. Would you stay with this cheater?
0: Oh man, yeah, I think I think so. If the if the intention is there and it's communicated, that seems appropriate to me. And and there is a mm, there's there's a larger vision and it's more realistic. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think through if I would. I think so. I think that's I think that's cool.
3: Did I know about it ahead of time?
0: No. That's a good question.
3: Why couldn't they just report it? Because they
2: didn't want to make a mistake. They wanted, they had to, you know, they had to make sure that the therapist was really crossing the boundary.
0: Yeah. The, the not knowing ahead of time, it seems like a, it seems like a weird, a weird part of the, I like it feels like justifying him.
2: Well, they were embarrassed because they thought maybe they were just misinterpreting their therapist's interactions.
3: <sighs> I guess, you know, I, I kind of, I, I would stay. I kind of get it. I get why they did it. I like to go rogue. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm, I, who am I to judge someone going rogue to benefit themselves? That's sort of my deal. I feel like, all right, you, you did it. You went undercover. You got your evidence.
2: Did you know that in California, you can have a sexual relationship with your client as a therapist, but you have to wait two years?
3: You have to wait two years of therapy? Or since no, no, been no, your- since they've been your client.
2: What? Yeah. And everyone's like, seems way too soon. And also don't ever do that. Yeah. what? (laughs) But legally, you can keep your license if you haven't had any sessions or interactions with them as their therapist. And if you wait two years,
3: you can't hang out as friends for two years.
2: I don't know. I know you can't have been in a therapeutic role to them for two years.
3: (laughs) So you can just quit being their therapist, hang out. Keep, and keep hanging out, and then and then you can kiss finally at two years. Don't quote me on this, but I think so. No, I hate it. <laughs> no, I hate it. No.
2: But anyway, luckily, this person's going to lose their license because of what your partner did.
3: Oh, good. Yeah. So honestly, vigilante justice. I think so. Served.
0: <laughs> well, wow, y'all look so much better at me than this. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I trust them. That's cool. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I've been. I well, listen. I've been playing this game for years, literal years, and I have learned so much about myself, including what I'm willing to put up with. It's
2: very revealing.
3: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, four, has recently been diagnosed with celiac disease. Oh no! Making it harmful for them to ingest any gluten. Oh no! Since they are only four, they are having a hard time understanding since when they eat gluten, they normally feel pretty okay and only sometimes have a slight stomach ache. In order to make sure they never eat it, you tell them that gluten is filled with tiny bugs. (laughs) And if they eat any gluten, they will become filled with tiny bugs. This then causes them to start yelling at a friend's pizza party because they are trying to save everyone from the
3: body bugs. Many children cry. Are you a terrible parent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. I just want to say celiacs is very serious. I didn't realize I'm dating someone with it. And then the, I did not realize how serious it yeah. is. And people just slap gluten free on stuff and don't realize that that actually means something. Um, so I think the body bugs is a great. I think that I think it's a great way to teach everyone a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> Simran, your thoughts?
0: man i my, i'm trying not to be so boring our approach in parenting is uh is no lying for the kids oh. so i would i would not i also have a 4 year old so there is uh i'm trying to think like very practically of how i would talk to her and um i I love, <laughs> I love the example you gave too much i'm like man that seems so much easier than actually trying to come up with the real explanation so terrible parent no i would i would get it but uh would i do it probably not but if my friends did it to their kids, would I encourage them and find it hilarious? Yes. So <laughs> that's, that's my answer. Not for me, but highly encouraged. What if
3: else. your kid is one of the ones that starts crying and then they come home and you have to explain that the body bugs aren't real?
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we've had situations like that. I mean, it's it's amazing what, what kids are told uh, through their friends and then you have to Resolve. I'll tell you. My my uh, younger daughter had a tick on her the other day. We really had to figure out how not to lie to her about it not being gross and disgusting, which which it absolutely is, and then also figure out like how to calm her down. Aww. So um, yeah, I, I really see the I really see the benefits of uh of little white lies in situations like this.
2: All right, this is going in my parenting book. Allison's parenting <laughs> book is is unhinged. It's bonkers, and and no one should buy it. But <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> Our final one. Would you forgive this liar? You are in a new team hire meeting for a large company that forces people to do icebreakers to get to know each other. Okay. Everyone Quorched. has to share a fun fact about themselves. And one of your new coworkers shares that they were an extra in Bridesmaids during that infamous toast scene. <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> Everyone finds this very interesting. A month later, you are watching Bridesmaids and your coworker is nowhere in sight. When you ask them about it, they confess that this is a lie they always tell because their real life is so boring. Would you forgive this liar?
3: Yeah, I'd forgive them. But I'd be like, you should choose a scene with more people in it. Like, say you were an extra in like, in like the day after tomorrow or something where it's like a huge, you know what I mean? Say you're an extra in like The Walking Dead, like something with big swarms of people. Bridesmaids toast scene, not enough people.
2: Yes. Your issue is not so much that they're a liar, but that they're a bad liar. Yeah.
3: Pick something else. (laughs) Pick something where you're like in full makeup. So like, like Walking Dead, right? Like you're, they'll be like, oh, is that you? And you'd be like, yeah, I'm in full makeup. (laughs) (laughs) pick eyes wide shut where you're wearing a mask you know what I mean oh
2: that's so smart you have to be of a certain age though
3: yeah pick Jaws where it's just people running you know what I mean what about in the last 10 years I have I seen a movie in the last 10 years (laughs) yeah I have what movies have I seen pick like a a disaster scene in a Marvel movie
2: yeah that's true would you forgive them
0: 100% I am that person who not because my (laughs) Not because I feel like my life isn't interesting enough, which also, by the way, it's not that interesting. So maybe that's part of the implicit reason. Uh, but mostly because I find icebreaker is boring. And so I entertain myself by making stuff up. And I also have the habit, maybe, or the... <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just a habit. I-, I forget to tell people that I was kidding or that I was lying. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so it comes back. <laughs> I remember... In high school, I started doing this. I told a bunch of my friends in high school and their parents at dinner one night that I was like, I made up this long story about how in our culture, we're arranged marriage and you're promised at birth. And I made up this like terrible story about who I was stuck with. And I forgot to tell them I was kidding. And like five years later, one of the moms, like she saw me at the grocery store and she was like, hey, how's your wedding? How's your marriage? And i was like, what is is going on? Oh my God. um, uh, that is that is more self-entertainment but yeah i I totally get the person lying about 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 bridesmaids or whatever but i do agree like make make the lie better make make a better movie i mean i like that uh but But a
3: movie with more people in it yeah
0: more people or like a cooler like do an animation where you're doing a voice that would be awesome
3: you can look on the imdb credits for that that's true. Right. Yeah, they don't usually true. give extras in vo- in voice stuff speaking part. Well, they don't have extras in voice stuff. They're just. you right. They're just right. cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I was an extra in a cartoon. Although I wasn't. My friend Shadi made a, a show called Danger and Eggs and there's a big pride scene. And she had to draw a bunch of different people in the pride scene. And one of the characters is me. I don't talk and I have nothing to do with it. I'm not credited, but it looks just but like you. me. Oh, that's
1: so that's cool. Amazing. And
3: so she drew me into the show. <laughs> me and I'm holding hands with another friend of mine. And we, me and that friend were not dating. So it felt kind of like a weird setup.
2: Interesting. <laughs>
3: a forever setup. Yeah, we're, uh, we're immortalized in that cartoon together holding hands.
0: <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs>
2: Well, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And where can everyone find out all that you're doing and about your new book?
0: Oh, thank you. Well, the book is everywhere books are sold. Uh, it's called The Light We Give, How Sick Wisdom Can Transform Your Life. And I also spend probably too much time on, on on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff, too. So happy to find out there.
3: What's your username?
0: On Twitter, I'm Simran. And on the other platforms, I'm h p r S-I-K-H-P-R-O-F.
3: You just got Simran on Twitter?
0: It took me a while. I had to wait until someone's, there's like nothing I can get with my name because it's one of the most popular in the world. So yeah, I'm so happy that I finally got Simran. I'm never giving that up.
3: Wow. (laughs) Congratulations. Bigger deal than the book, I think.
0: The biggest accomplishment of my life, actually. So yeah, thank you. Bigger than the kids, bigger than the book.
2: Uh,
3: Yeah. Yep. They're going to listen to this and be real shocked by a lot of what they hear.
2: (laughs) Mostly about the body bugs.
3: Yeah. Um. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Awesome. No, it's great to be with y'all. Thank you.
2: Stick around. After the break, we'll be talking all about Gabby's juicy dating life. I guess. I guess. You're so excited.
3: between us. It's time for Tommy! X, 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 baby.
1: Baby. Baby. Beautiful, That Melissa. was beautiful, Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> I figured I'd bring some calm before. Oh, can Before I just the say, storm.
3: <laughs> the people on TikTok like really like you. Do they? Yeah, they liked that video of you talking about confidence because I think they like hearing people say nice things. Like someone was like, this is so wholesome. This made me feel warm inside.
1: Well, I hope to make People feel a lot of things inside. Hot. Same as you, right? Hot. Yeah. It's a segue. (laughs) Very smooth.
3: (laughs) So we were gossiping before this. And what elements of of such gossip uh, grabbed both of you by the throat and said, we will not let go?
2: I guess I'm a few years ago. You had said that, like, for you dating full on dating multiple people at once was stressful Mm -hmm. and you preferred and you were realizing that you prefer more of just like non monogamy where it was not full relationships. Mm -hmm. But now it seems like you're having full relationships with many people at once. And so I'm wondering, how is it different this time and and how have you been navigating
3: it? Well, I don't know if it's like relationships, but it's definitely things have I've come to a really good place where I, I'm now not trying to fit people into boxes they don't fit in. So I'm having the relationships with the people in the way in which I want to have the relationship with them in the, the sense that like, it's not like obviously Mal is my partner. So that is the person who I, that's my plus one to weddings. That's my, you know, that's my person who I own a home with, who I live my life with, who I make decisions with. And so I don't want to have two of those. I don't want to have multiples of those. And I would try to force, because I was so used to the milestones of relationships in this way that I would be like, well, if you like someone, you must then move forward in these ways. And that got conflicting. Whereas now I'm like, I feel more open to being like, what kind of relationship would you like to have? And what does that look like to date you? And what does our specific dynamic look like? And how does that, rather than just trying to be like, well, you're this person, I'm this person and we hook up for a while and then we decide what we are. Like now it's more like, like it's more nebulous and it can go on for longer. And it's sort of like happens when everybody wants it to happen. And it's like, what, what do you actually want? You know, like what, what kind of situation does it have to look like? And it doesn't have to look like we're going on dates every week or I'm coming with you to your parents' house or, you know, it doesn't, my problem with, when I was dating the two people where everything went to shit, the problem was, is that I was trying to make them, I was trying to move forward in the same way with both of them at the same time, regardless of what each person wanted. And sometimes I look back and I think, if I had been more open to actually what the male partner, the cis male partner actually wanted things to look like, I could have maybe worked it out instead of just being like, both of you, it, it's a one size fits all. And mm-hmm. that's what a relationship looks like versus like now things are I'm open to things being like different, looking very different from each other based on the specificity of that person, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, thank you for having me <laughs> on your couch. I feel um, reborn and mentally healthy now.
2: How has it been like in terms of like energy because you, you're dating like kind of like 3 to 4 people at once like is it are you finding that like energizing cuz it's like fun and exciting are you finding it like exhausting like i feel like you have in the past like these are these are my questions
3: <laughs> oh oh well it feels i mean the 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 part that makes it less exhausting is that you're around for when people want you around so i don't see everybody all the time like there's certain people that have popped up Once a month, or you know, like once or twice a month, there's a person that has been around for a couple of years who just kind of we go like months without interacting, and then we'll interact like heavily for like a week and then like not interact at all for a while. Or, or the interactions are very specific to that person and like not necessarily us getting together in in real life, but like more so what this person like what do I say like what this person's kink is can then be fulfilled in different ways rather than just by like get like I'm happy to be in a place where like I'm not just like meeting someone and going, oh, and then we hang out and we go to a movie and then we fuck and like or like we hang out and we go to a bar and we I'm sober now. But we go to a bar and we fuck. Whatever it is. Like And the way that we fuck is like how people do. You know what I mean? Versus like now it's this more like I'm like, what do you like, what do you actually want? And then people are able to and I'm able to be more open and vulnerable. And then everybody's sort of getting what they want without feeling obligated to do the like relationship steps. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like one person is just, I just buy things for them. And then they wear them and then look pretty in them. And then I say, and then I enjoy that. Like, I like and, that. Yeah, like I and everybody's different, and everybody has their own like things. And Melissa was making fun because I guess a lot of them look alike.
1: All everybody's heads shape the same. What does that mean? Everybody has a different shape head, and all the people on your team have same shape heads. That is, I don't think that that's true. Uh, well, from the pictures that I saw, it looks like it.
2: They all have similar um, body types and stature as well, I would say. And hair. And dark hair. And, dark and hair. coloring.
3: Dark hair, yeah. Different coloring, different coloring, but uh, dark hair. That's not true. I will say some of them are little muscular, little muscular yeah. dudes.
1: Yeah, I saw that. Too. And then some are a little wi- more wiry. The heads are the same. The <laughs> hair is the same.
3: Across, it's so funny because it's like literally across genders and sexualities, but they all <laughs> they all look the same (laughs) somehow the trans feminine people are have the same like vibe as the trans masculine people as the cis people like Like, you
1: go to like a a bake off and everybody like made the same kind of cake but they all taste a little different
2: (laughs) I would love to go
1: to a bake off
3: that sounds so fun I love baking I'm just saying here's the thing for people listening You don't have to meet someone and go in the direction that relationships go. Like, it it could have so easily, and especially with this one person, it could have so easily been this unfulfilling thing where we both just were like, well, and then we, like, have sex. And it's been so much more fulfilling to be like, what do you actually want? What do I actually want? How is that compatible? And in what sort of space, like, can we do that where it's not it doesn't build an obligation to be like well i guess since we're doing this i should sleep over or meet your parents or you know like it doesn't have to look a certain way and i think that one thing that and i don't want to like whatever but i think one thing that's good about me is that i really want to know so like if i'm dating someone or or start seeing someone or I'm interested in someone I really ask, like, I really want to know, like, I'm not, I don't need you to treat me or do the things that you think I want. I truly want to know, like, what is your deal? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what do you, what would actually fulfill you? What do you actually want? And I think that's been so much better than just trying to fit into these molds of what a relationship looks like, which is, you know, and there's, there's like, Mal, there's like one person who's around a bit, a bit more frequently. Then there's like a couple people that just come in and out. And that's what I like is that it's like, everyone's there because they want to be, you know, like you come in and out of my life and you're, you're there because we like reconnected and we're like, Hey, what's up? And I think like, it's funny to think about like one of those people, it's literally been two years of just like on and off. And it's like, fine. Mm hmm but like wow that person's been around for a while and like maybe there are people that that could go on for 10 years i don't know but it's like these these i feel like it's nice that relationships kind of like they can ebb and flow not that i didn't have drama with one of them but in like there isn't it's not like there isn't you know back and forth or whatever or there there isn't you know emotionally managing different people you know what i mean managing other people's expectations or other people's problems. Some people I ha- I can uh, I I have to. Some I don't even have to. Some people I have. I'm like, oh wow, that seems hard. But I don't have to deal with that because I'm not your partner. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I want to say I, I think that this conversation is more mature than I was thinking it was going oh, to no, be. Oh, what
3: would, what were you gonna say? I thought it
1: was gonna be a little more salacious. No, we can get salacious. No, I like it like this because I oh, have okay. I have questions. What are they? Well. First, like, hearing you talk about it, I wonder if this is something that I could do, too. Because, like, when I date, I usually do have, like, a full roster. But then when I have one person that, like, I'm serious about, then mm-hmm. I'm just with that one person. Yeah. When I, I mean, there was, like, one point in my dating life where I was like, I want to have, like, all 12 of the names of Jesus's disciples.
3: I love that. Yeah. I love that. And it's And doable. I had about
1: eight at one point.
3: It's doable. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because different people are want different things from you or are around in different ways.
1: Yeah, there's this old R&B song called Smackavelli that talks about the different type of guys <laughs> that somebody can have. <laughs> and I really like that song. I play it often. And everybody was fulfilling a different need. Mm-hmm. Everybody's fulfilling, you know, sometimes, you know. So you that's you want to be polyamorous? I, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's a big moment, I everyone. Know. And it's on the record. It's on the record. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah. But then also don't go anywhere. So, like... <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's been good, too, for gender exploration because you, you have, you're you perceived differently by different people. I think this one specific person uh, and I really came up, like, really started our gender journeys at the same time, this transfeminine person. And we really... The way that we connected, we really like needed each other at that time and really like moved, felt very validating to each other and did things that validated each other. And then I feel very close to this person. And it is interesting because I do think about, you know, like, you know, with dating, different people are different ways. So like Mal doesn't really want to meet or know the people that I'm dating, which sometimes feels strange because it's like. You are my partner and you don't know like a couple of my best friends, <laughs> hmm. you know, it's very weird in some way. But is it more like
1: self-preservation?
3: Yeah, they just don't. They're just not interested. They just don't want to know. They have this idea that they like, they're like, I don't want to be a polycule. And I'm like, you're not going to be a polycule. You're going to all be my boyfriends. No, just kidding. But I don't like, know. I'm sorry. I don't know what that term means. Oh, polycule. Um, It's like where it's like a group of people who are all dating each other. Oh, got it. But, like, there's, you know, I think there's this pressure in the queer community for everybody to be friends. Mm. And it is funny because a lot of them do want Mal's approval and Mal's very stingy with it.
1: <laughs> I <love laughs> like that. So then it makes everyone work for it. I like it a lot. Are there other people that just don't care, too?
3: No, a lot of them really
1: care about Mal's hmm. approval.
3: But people come in and out. Like, there was this person that. That I saw from uh, Bumble a little bit, and then I saw them one other time, and they were like, it was like we met to hook up, but then they just ended up like freaking out about maybe being trans feminine, and then I was like, wow, my first experience of going somewhere thinking I was gonna have sex, and then just being like, it's okay, <laughs> <laughs> because that's apparently like a trans one on one experience, and then I'm like ha- friendly with that person and text with them and stuff, but like I don't. Think we'll hook up again. But like it's just, you know, life is long and nebulous. And and I really like these people. Like, I really like getting to know people. I really like seeing who I'm attracted to and in what way and about what. And we can get so salacious. One of them's ex-BuzzFeed. So take a take a guess if you want in the comments, uh, what ex BuzzFeed person. We all we guessed
1: and we were wrong. I, I couldn't get it. everyone was
3: wrong. And then One person is someone who I just buy sexy lingerie for and then they wear it for me. And then we barely meet up. Um, (laughs) Uh, I like I have like a lot of different, you know, weird. And that's great because I I don't like if there was pressure for me and that person to have like a conventional relationship, it just like wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So. I'm out here. I meet people in real life almost exclusively, which is hard sometimes because it's always like friends of friends or exes of friends or things like that. But yeah, I tend to meet people in real life. I almost never meet people off apps other than a couple people and one like a couple like one night stands from apps. But Mal thinks I have a crush on one of our friends. I don't. Mal's accusing Are me. Are you sure? Jacuzza. Are you sure? I think so.
1: See? Think. Do you think know. they have a
3: crush on you? No, I don't know.
1: Whoa.
3: I'm not sure.
1: Whoa. Growth.
3: I know, growth. <laughs> no, I think I think it's a, my first friendship where we're both, where we're bros. But also, I don't know. Like, you know, it's my first friendship meeting another guy as a guy. So I'm like, we're bros. But then I've like seen enough gay porn where it's like, then what bros just are like, we're just hanging out. And then suddenly they're jerking each other off. So I don't really know.
1: Are they, do they have brown hair? They do have brown hair, yes. They do does have brown hair. look like this? Does their hair look like this? Yeah. And one person mm-hmm. I'm dating is very... I don't want to leave him out. I don't want
3: to leave him out. One person, very, very cute. And I don't want to leave him out. And that's that person I'm seeing, like, more regularly. So, shout out to you.
1: He listens to this.
3: He does? Does he, he want to meet me? I guess. Yeah, if you want.
1: I want to know his yeah. thoughts on me, too.
3: Yeah. He listened to it because he heard... There was like a part where it said Gabby talks about dating gossip, and he was like, "I want to know." That's kind of old, isn't it? It was like a couple weeks ago, oh. a few weeks ago, or something. And it was like an episode where we started off talking about hot gossip, we didn't really say what the gossip was, but then in the description of the episode, we were like, "Hot gossip." Um, a little tease. He,
2: they're not a regular listener.
3: No, he he listens. Oh hi!
1: Okay. <laughs> if, if you're actually listening dm us yeah i won't Whoa. see it but dm me <laughs> wow um,
2: well
3: thank you for sharing and i hope is... this lets people feel that they can have unconventional yeah. lives and relationships me right uh, melissa you touched one person
1: and i've touched several mm-hmm.
2: now melissa are you actually going to hire a matchmaker like we've I don't talked know. about i just
1: thought about somebody i saw that Follows Gabby that I I wanna and yeah, you follow, see follow him too so
3: oh amazing Ooh, okay that's you. what it and now we'll, and now we'll get into Melissa's adventures in polyamory maybe see this is the thing you meet through friends of friends or yeah or, I don't
1: think I don't know I don't know anything about this person except for what I've seen I don't okay, think they, they may not be polyamorous
3: I don't know well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna
2: offline chat mm-hmm. about this yeah. Well, I don't really have many updates, but I do have two dogs and I find that a difficult thing to juggle.
3: <laughs> and do you feel like you have to have the same relationship with each dog? No, I've had
2: to learn that I don't
1: have the same relationship with each
2: dog. One of them you okay. buy
1: lingerie
3: for and the other you
1: don't. Well, this is... <laughs> one's your aunt and one's your baby boy.
2: Yeah, one's my best friend and one's the love of my life.
3: Um, <laughs> anyway, what do we rate this episode? Uh, I will rate it 17 out of 11 meaningful traditions. Aww. I'll rate it 11 out of 10 checking your ex's social media.
1: That's what I was going to do. We always pick the same one. I know. I'll rate it 50 out of 10. It's really high. Ooh. Self discoveries.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you to Dr. Jeet Singh for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond-Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com
2: slash river team or on our channel youtube.com slash just between us show. Make sure to
3: follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news. Also at Allison Raskin at she is not Melissa at Gabby road, emotional support lady, sub stack, patreon.com slash Gabby And also Allison's book overthinking about you go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But, Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye!
0: Forever! (coughs) Dog!